Welcome to the Blue Collar Experts Podcast. My name is Todd Wall, and we recognize that the marketplace is more crowded than it ever has been in human history. We use the principle of if it is true there, then it is true here to find what is working in different contexts and apply it to your business. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Blue Collar Experts. Today, I have one of the most diverse people I have had on the show. And today, I've got Marcelo Bermudez, and he's going to move this conversation from his business in capital for providing capital for businesses to all the way to the book that he's written on finding purpose. So let me welcome to the show now, uh, Marcella, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me. Man, I, I want to jump right into this. And really, I want to begin with showing your website because it shows immediately the diversity that you're immediately operating in from access to capital to, to strategic strategic planning to mediation to receivership, CRE investment, and then speaking. At the beginning, you said majority of your time is, is this is where the funnel begins, right? Is the access to capital. What, what all types of capital are you doing? I mean, you're, it's commercial real estate. Well, tell me a little bit of that story. So I, I think of it as, as three buckets. Um, there's a capital for commercial real estate. There's capital for, for business. And then capital for people who are looking to make investments uh, in renewable energy, but also wanting to offset their tax burden. Um, so I work, I, I say, you know, what I say is that I like to kind of dance across uh, the capital stack from debt to equity and everything in between. Uh, there's a lot of different creative ways to put a deal together. And in the market that we are right now, which is a rising rate environment, uh, it's very tricky. Uh, people have to make hard decisions about what they think something is worth, whether it's their their, their piece of land, their building, uh, and even their business. And so oftentimes what ends up happening is that you figure out that there are different types of check writers who have different yield requirements. So if you think of a typical bank, um, they're going to be a cheaper form of capital, but obviously uh, more conservative in terms of how they're going to analyze your, your property or your business and, and understand how much capital they can provide you. And as you move up the stack, uh, it becomes a little bit more risky, which means that there's a little more octane uh, in the rate or in terms of the expectation uh, from the person who's writing the check. And so I've been able to kind of uh, jump in and really understand and build uh, lots of relationships across the stack from traditional banks to life insurance companies, to pension funds, to high net worth individuals, family offices, and everything in between. Lots of bridge funds out there right now looking for yield in terms of writing a check uh, to help people achieve their goal in terms of making an investment in themselves and their business or their property. Yeah, Marcel, that, just that one definition, and I like how you, you defined it in the stacks of, of that, uh, the octane, as you said. Yeah. But even just in that short description, it shows the complexity definition of the company of how you how you describe that because that really that really lays out the whole path that you're the the path that you're walking here tell us the correct name correct way to say the name of your company and really what that means to thank you yes so uh, the, the the word or the name is shokune uh, it's a japanese word uh, that means uh, in in a very short way is that you are the master of your craft 
uh, but that you also have an interest in community. So it's not just about making money. It's also about making an impact in the people that you touch uh, in your community and worldwide. And so that, that word really spoke to me in terms of my value system. Uh, I also love words. Uh, my dad was, um, uh, before he passed, he was a COO of the uh, LA Mission in downtown Los Angeles, helping the homeless, but he was also a chaplain. And so uh, he was a, a deep reader of the of word, which meant that he would jump in and really understand uh, the meaning of a word and its history. And so I, that really rubbed off on me. And so when I found the word Shokunin, it really spoke to me and I thought it was a great choice because it's a, definitely a conversation starter. Uh, people like, can't pronounce it quite right, but they definitely want to know and understand kind of where the word. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, okay, so I want to, I want to approach this from a marketing perspective since I am a marketing uh, agency. So the, in defining the company in a word sometimes, I mean, that is difficult to say correctly, yet at the same, same time, because people struggle with branding on how to, how to brand themselves, yet the majority of your relation or majority of your businesses come through relationships, right? I mean, has it come through the brand name or is it, where has been the majority of your lead sources and the, the development of your business come from? Well, you know, I've, I've got close to a little over 30 years of experience now uh, in terms of, um, you know, I'd started out and designed build construction and then moved to work with a family office and then I have my own practice. Um, so yeah, I, definitely the relationships. I get a lot of phone calls throughout the week, uh, referrals from accountants, attorneys, uh, existing clients who just really believe or were very happy uh, with the way that I had provided uh, the services for them. And uh, so that for me is, uh, is very important. I'm, I'm always going back and, and kind of retouching uh, those people, checking in, asking how they're doing um, and asking for business, not being afraid to ask for the business in turn. Hey, you know, what can I do for you this year? What's important to you? Um, another way I'm, I'm understanding and, and once I, I kind of hear the things that, that are important to them that I know, okay, I'm not gonna be able to help you right now. I'm going to call you in three, six, nine months or in two years. I mean, I've, I'm working on a deal right now that, um, I've known this client for almost a decade. We haven't done any business yet. Um, but it was that follow-up, the checking in, and it would be funny because I'd present these transactions and he's like, Marcelo, let me tell you why I'm not doing this. And he'd be very, very helpful. Like doesn't meet this criteria, or I'm concerned about this issue, that issue, but keep sending me deals, you know, keep calling me, don't be afraid to call. And I always appreciated that because for me, it was almost like getting my own little MBA uh, from people who are much more established than I were, much more successful just in terms of kind of where they were in their business. And so being that, being persistent and consistent, I think is a, an incredible key uh, to making sure that you're able to even out your revenue um, as a business owner. So, so many people stress over, uh, you know, the cutesy logo that they create, but w would you say it's fair to say really your brand is who you are and how you treat people, the words that consistently come out of your mouth? You know, I, I, I would, I would doubt very much that people care about the, the fancy logo I design. Um, they're buying me, they're, they're buying what I can offer them. Uh, just this Saturday, um, I have an existing client that, uh, that I actually cold called, uh, I've been because of the, the rising rate environment, um, you know, you have to make adjustments in terms of how it is you're going to provide products and services to the people that you want to speak to. 
And so about uh, two months ago, I decided to pull down a list of people who had construction permits open uh, in LA, Ventura, and Santa Barbara County and check in with them because it was very likely that their interest rate on their construction loan had gone up or they were in the middle of trying to get to permanent financing because they were finishing up their, their construction project and they were falling short. And so it was a good strategy. And so I happened to call this, this particular developer and he was like, where have you been all my life? And so, you know, we helped put together something. And as we delved more into figuring out a solution for his project, he's like, by the way, can you help me with this? And so we began to, what came to the light was this guy didn't have a real business plan uh, for part of the building that he had, he had built. He was going to owner, owner, user, owner, operate uh, a banquet hall. And so, um, you know, he's like, can you help me put together a business plan and a pitch deck? And I said, absolutely. And I charged him a five figure sum for uh, just a few hours of my time. And uh, we spent this past Saturday together about an hour and a half, close to two hours. And uh, I, I think he paid me the best compliment, which he's like, you know, I thought it was going to take like 20 minutes. You're going to ask me like two or three questions and kind of typical questions. He's like, I feel much more excited. I feel so much more creative and really feel like I'm understanding why I'm doing this uh, than before. So those are the kind of the real best compliments in terms of really understanding like, hey, this is what people are buying. Their you know, products and services can be very similar. But in terms of how you provide it with that, going beyond uh, the minimum uh, is what people see and they get on fire about you and you become the water that people look for. Oh, I like that. Um, the water that people are looking for. Would you say that that's been a common trait and uh, pattern in many other clients where you've, you've helped them feel seen and heard? And um... Yeah, I, I think that uh, that is a, very big part or skill set that anybody who wants to be in business is instead of waiting to talk is that you're, you know, you're, you're listening and you're looking for the nuance. You're looking for the pauses. You're looking for the body language. And when you're pushing and asking hard questions and seeing how they respond, um, that, okay, there's, there's more there that we need to discuss. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm developing this product and calling it deal doula. And it's kind of like you're, you're helping, you know, people kind of bring this idea or project or their business to life. And so I talk about like, look, I'm not just here to provide you strategy and information. I'm going to be your cheerleader. I'm going to be your therapist. I'm going to be your speech writer, you know, in terms of like how I can help you get to where you're trying to. Okay. So, so Marcelo, give us a masterclass real quick. Give us your framework for if, uh, and I may be putting you on the spot, but I love that. Um, your, your framework for how do you help that customer be seen and discover what is really, because you, you said you're recognizing the pauses, kind of the commas in the, in their sentences and going, wait, there, we may, may need to put a pin there. What, yeah. what is your approach to helping that customer feel seen and ultimately find that discovery process? Sure. So oftentimes what I'll do is, and I'll, I may have a, a, a list of questions that I want to make sure that I get through. Because I know that they will, there are often things that they, that person hadn't thought about. So like I'll ask them, what business are you in? And uh, ones who know what business they're in, they can rattle off something in a single sentence very quickly. Uh, when you have the ums and the ahs, 
And uh, well, I'm doing this, but I'm also doing this. Then you see, okay, there's a little bit of lack of focus. Um, you really haven't identified who it is you're trying to speak to. What I've learned in this business is that if you try to talk to everybody, you're not talking to anybody, you know? And so you, it's, it can be a scary thing to take a step in terms of being very, very niche or very specific in terms of the type of uh, client that you are seeking. So I could say, well, what business are you in? Well, I'm in commercial real estate finance. Well, okay, great. Well, what does that mean? Well, I help clients in a three to $30 million space who are trying to grow their business and scale it. So then it becomes very more specific. I could even jump down into like, I help clients who are in the healthcare industry in that three to $30 million space. That even becomes more specific. And so now people really understand the kind of services that you can offer. And so that is where for me, uh, one is repeating back and say, okay, this is what I heard. You told me this, this is what I'm hearing. Is that, is that correct? And letting them kind of confirm um, that, yes, this is, yes, that is exactly what I'm trying to say. You know, so sometimes just repeating and kind of mirroring uh, what it is that they are trying to push out of themselves. Because oftentimes you'll, you'll, you'll see that the, the client can be kind of shy, like, well, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. Um, or, you know, what I really want to do is X, Y, or Z. Like, okay, well, let's forget about, you know, this and keep talking about, let's focus on going forward. Man, Marcel, as a communication coach and ICF coach, you really made my heart warm just now. (laughs) (laughs) Just the listening, observing, repeating back, and then taking the broad down to something more specific. And you said, that's really the leverage point is, uh, you know, like, like my example, for example, it's. I don't just do digital marketing. I do digital marketing for X, Y, Z. And that's kind of the formula that you kind of operate within. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I I think what's, I think what's hard sometimes is like, I've learned to say no a lot more uh, than I used to. I love to help, you know, um, you know, my dad was a, was a a chaplain. Uh, He helped the homeless for a majority of his career. So we, we, I come from a family that knew how to give. And, um, so you always want to say, yes, you know, sure. I can help you. I'll figure, you know, we can figure something out and saying no, seem very selfish, mm-hmm. uh, at least for me in terms mm-hmm. of, of learning how to say no. But what I noticed was I, I took, I took time to step back and say, okay, what's really important to me. Yeah. So we used to have an exam. We used to have an office in downtown Los Angeles, a high rise building, really fancy. And I, fancy. Yeah. When I, when I met my wife. Um, who had children of her own, which I ended up adopting. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, one of the decisions I made when I told my business partner, when I was working with the family office, I said, I'm not coming into the office anymore. <laughs> and I was like, what? what are you talking about? And I said, well, I want to take my, these kids to school. I want to be there. I want to pick them up. Yeah. Um, school is over. I want to be at practice. You know, when I take them to baseball practice or soccer, whatever the sport was, you know, yeah, that was important to me. And so making that type of decision really helped me to understand, okay, it's okay to say no. And even there are times when existing clients call me or they make a referral and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to send you so-and-so. It's like, you know what? I'll take the call, but I'm going to send them to this person because they're going to do a much better job than I can. And I really, I don't think I can be as effective or I just don't want the business because it's just not a fit for what I'm trying to do. So if I'm hearing correctly, so it's, as the business owner becomes more defined and clear in what they specifically do, 
that then grants permission. The, the outcome that they're looking for, the way they want to approach things, that grants the per permission because the permission doesn't come naturally. I mean, we're, we're, naturally, we're naturally feeling guilty, aren't we? You know, and it's funny because that's probably the, the biggest issue I run into uh, when I'm helping business owners with exit planning, which is helping them learn how to duplicate themselves. And, and that is like the actual delegation of something. It's just like for, for a guy like me, like I'm a, I love paying attention to detail and love getting the nitty gritty. And that's great. But if you're trying to scale your business, uh, it's probably one of the worst things that you can do. And so what I have learned um, coming an exit planner, but just in terms of experience is that you have to begin to create standard operating procedures. Okay, this is how you and you know, take in a new client. These are the questions that you're going to be asking. And so I have lots of systems. I have lots of videos, for example, uh, that I just push out like, okay, you know, assistants, watch these 10 videos and then come back to me. And it's just kind of like, you know, almost like the matrix, you know, where it's just like, okay, I can fly a helicopter now. It's like, okay, now I know how to intake a client and, and now I'm, I'm not having to repeat myself. And so oftentimes what it allows me to do is like, after this interview, for example, I'm driving down to um, Los Angeles County to meet the USC and the, the medical center there to, to look at a very, very large project on behalf of a couple of developers. And it's going to be, you know, several hours, you know, hobnobbing and shaking hands and kissing babies kind of thing. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, those are the things that if I hadn't created those systems, I'd be stuck here in my office making sure those things got done. So, and so exit planning and strategy is, is another area where you specialize it. That's, that's vital to every entrepreneur and it, to me, it, and you echo this, if you agree, but it goes into that phrase of working on your business, not in your business. If you're still an employee of your business, it makes it real difficult to exit and have a proper value of that company. Doesn't it? Exactly. You know, I, I, I tell clients either every day you're making a decision either to grow or sell your business. And you can, you can actually figure out very specific metrics and understand the different gaps that exist in your business. There's three, there's three basic gaps. There's your, there's your financial gap, right? Which is understanding kind of your, your, you know, how you need to make, you know, your business needs to generate revenue. There's your personal gaps, right? And then your, your long-term gaps. And so what ends up happening is you look at your personal, your business, and your financial goals because they're all tied together. And when I, when you say exit plans, I will, I'm not leaving yet. Well, yeah, maybe it's not today, but people don't realize that there are things that happen that are out of your control. And so what you want to make sure that is that as you operate your business, that you exit on your terms. That's really important to me in terms of understanding the things that people don't like to talk about. Death, divorce, disability, disagreement. Um, those are those are real things that happen. You know, I had a business uh, with a with a family member where we became we grew apart. You know, I had very I had very lofty goals about merging and acquiring other companies, and he was very happy with kind of the way things were. So I sold that company and moved on, and that's where I sold that company and moved to Spain. Lived in Spain for about a year and disconnected and recharged my batteries and came back with a very new perspective in terms of improving my quality of life with how I was going to work. So this this semi this masterclass on exiting. I mean, it's I've heard some people talk about if 
And one of the ways they test the uh, stability of their company of whether or not they can exit is they work towards, can they go on vacation for a month and the business still operate? I mean, how much is really relying on their actual decision-making? Is that, would that be fair for you? It's, it's, it's a, it's a very hard question that most, I would say most business owners cannot answer. What are your, what is your post business life really look like? Oh, I'm going to golfing. I'm going to travel. Okay. That's good. No, that's good too. But like, hey, what's it really going to look like? You know, I happen to own a small little condo in Ixtapa in Mexico. And I go there several times a year with my family and it's a three hour flight. Um, you know, we've built relationships down there. We have other friends down there. And so that has become part of like, in terms of who we are, you know, it helps our kids learn a new language, different cultures. Um, and it really allows us to get on a plane and then three hours of direct flight of Alaska from LAX. We're in our little slice of heaven, really decompressing and taking time. Um, but when it comes to really understanding, like, for, especially if there are family members involved, those are very difficult conversations to be had because there's expectations. Well, I'm the son, I'm the, I'm the daughter. I know I'm supposed to get 50, 50, you know, um, and those are, you know, or, or the flip side is like, I don't want to, I don't want your business. I don't want to, you know, be in manufacturing, you know, I want to go be an influencer on Instagram, you know, so there's this very different ideas in terms of how you're supposed to exit. And so asking those questions now and really thinking about them, I think helps a business owner understand that selling, it's not just about selling the business. Like you're not selling a car. You're selling an entire network of, of clients, of employees, of systems, and that's how you increase enterprise value to make sure that you meet those personal financial goals that you say you're trying to meet when you try to decide to, to exit or retire or whatever it is. So Marcelo, if you don't mind, can we turn it a little bit personal at this stage? Sure. Um, you know, both you and I, we, we both lost our dads this last year. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that you've funneled that is you've begin, you've, you haven't published it yet, but you've written a book on finding purpose. Would you tell us a little bit of the story of your dad? And it is a remarkable story with a very difficult end and you don't have to get into all those details, but would you segue that into telling us a little bit about how to find purpose? Sure. So, uh, my father, um, was an alcoholic. Yeah, he was sober uh, for close to 52, 53 years before he passed. And um, he had a very hard life. He also had to suffer from bipolar disorder. And uh, when he found his sobriety, uh, he was part of, uh, I'll call it anonymous, but he was part of a group in West Los Angeles, Los Angeles called Pacific Group. And they were very, with a very uh, rigid uh, commitment in terms of maintaining your sobriety. But it was very incredible to see how these members would support each other, you know, to make sure they stayed sober. And part of it was, is that uh, they believed they had a, a very uh, almost militant belief that you could not be on any type of medication. And I think that my dad um, was unwilling or uh, fearful of losing his sobriety, but figuring out his bipolar disorder. And, um, so he had a very, you know, tough life to the point where, you know, we, you know, in terms of, uh, growing up and living in a, in a, in a, an alcoholic household and bipolar household, um, you know, there were times where relationships would get to the point of rupture. 
Um, but as you grow older and you realize, okay, you know, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, maybe you don't understand. And so as, as we got older, you know, what I learned to forgive my dad and, um, you know, just really love on him because there were things that I think he didn't see, you know, he was just so busy just trying to stay sober and helping others and kind of filling that void. And, um, as, as he got older, I remember, uh, I think, you know, we would go visit my mom and dad. They used to live in the San Fernando Valley. And we'd go to this place called Portos, uh, Portos Bakery, which is a pretty big, pretty big thing out here in California. In fact, I think they just uh, opened up a bakery inside Disneyland. Uh, so it's very, very good. You know, they have these meat pies and danishes and things like that. So we'd go on Sunday, go visit my parents and uh, bring some Portos and some coffee and just kind of hang out. And I remember, you know, one, one weekend, uh, you know, kind of a bruise on the forehead and on my dad's arm. I was like, hey, what's that? You know, and he wouldn't want to talk about it. And um, and that fact, that day, he actually had a heart attack. He collapsed. And so I dialed 911. And, um, you know, the, I'm, I'm laughing because the story gets even more hilarious. And, the, you know, the, and the fire department shows up and it's like, Mr. Bermudez, how are you? What are we doing for you today? I'm <laughs> like looking at this. Hey, like, why do you know my dad? Like, yeah. You know, the guys get to work, you know, and they're putting the patches on and they're making sure he's okay. And I said, why do you know my dad? And he's like, dude, he's like, we're here like once a week. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, your mom calls in. It's because she prattled. And, you know, so it was like, you know, it was like a life alert commercial. Like, like a phone. Red flag. Red flag. <laughs> and so, like, my wife and I decided that day. is like, okay, you know, it's time for us to kind of take on that role of being a caregiver. And so over the next year, um, I live in Ventura County in Thousand Oaks. And one of the things that we had decided was that this house that we purchased was that we wanted either enough land to build a guest house for my parents or that there would be one available to care for them outside. Yeah, right. really, was, was that the point when you recognized he was beginning to suffer with Alzheimer's? Yeah, you know, was it? Yeah, you know, it was just like, well, one, it was, it was the unwillingness to like expert help, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, we'd see pills on the floor, and like, I, you know, I called them my mom's science experiments, and I'd open the fridge, and you'd see food that was kind of getting moldy. I hadn't been on that. <laughs> yeah, there, there needs to be some changes here, you know. Yeah, and, uh, and so we ended up. Uh, we found a house that uh, this, this this house flipper had kind of gone ahead of his skis, and I needed to get out very quickly, so we're able to make an offer um, and get into it at, uh, below market. And uh, ended up building a guest house, um, three bedrooms, two baths with ADA design. And um, we moved them on over here, you know. So I got to see my dad and both my parents. My mom is still alive. She's still with us. Uh, but, you know, I got to see, you know, part of the negotiation was, I said, Dad, I said, if you're going to come live with me, um, you have to go to therapy and you got to take medication. I want you to really uh, step into figuring out your, your, your mental health. And, uh, he, he pushed back quite a bit. Um, you know, he was just like, you don't understand Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I do, you know, but I really, I'm, we're going to partner on this. I need you to, to at least I don't know, think about it. And, uh, I will walk with you, uh, to, to, to find a result. And so he jumped in, I, you know, I'm a doer, you know, um, so I, I'm not afraid to ask, I, you know, part of being in a business is you're, you're not afraid of, of rejection. Um, you know, you're calling out people you're getting a lot of no's. You tell a lot of people who tell you to go and screw up. 
and you can't take that stuff personally. So getting in, you know, we happen to have Kaiser Permanente, which is a, a big health system out here on the West Coast. And I looked through all the nicks and crannies and found the right doctor. And so my dad jumped in and we went to about six um, therapy sessions together. I went with him. And uh, the the therapist, you know, was like, yeah, dude, you're bipolar. <laughs> and, it's, and it's pretty severe. And, uh, and so finally, it was, my dad, you know, we, we figured out a cocktail that, that worked for him. You know, we ran through a different set of meds that didn't quite work out. There were ones that were like, wow, you know, like your memory is terrible, like really got terrible. Like he didn't know where he was. And we'd make yeah. him adjust. And I advised him about that. I said, dad, I go, this is not, uh, this is not an on and off switch. You know, like we're going to have to, there's going to be a testing time in terms of making sure we find the thing that works for you. Mm-hmm. And so I got to see my dad as a healthy individual uh, from a mental health perspective for about four years before he passed. And right. um, it really um, it inspired me. You know, I will say this. Initially, I was kind of upset <laughs> because I was like, man, you know, you could have figured this out 30, 40 years yeah, ago. You could have had a Dealing job. with your own personal grief. Right. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, like, you know, I'm a guy, like I said, you know, I, I, I see the, I, to me, like the problem is the answer, you know, like there's the, the answer is yeah. in that problem. You can find it in there. And, um, and so, but it was nice to just kind of see him to just be calm, to be responsive, to not shut down when you were having a discussion. And so I think that part inspired me. And it's just like, you know what, I'm going to try and draw out of him as much as I can because, you know, health was degrading uh, pretty quickly. And, um, and so we sat down uh, together and I wrote this book on stepping into your purpose. And, um, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's called a, it's kind of a takeoff of Star Wars, you know, you're, you're our only hope. Um, and it's time yeah. to look at the mirror and understand kind of who you are. And so oftentimes what I have found is that it's very easy to point your finger at others. Yeah. Um, and, well, my circumstance, you know, my parents, my, my employer, uh, but at the end of the day, it's you. And in terms of being honest about where you fall short, what you should be doing better, you know, if, if you're overweight, you know that you gotta you gotta eat right, you gotta exercise, you know, you know yeah. that if you're not hurting the way you want to, it means that you don't have systems in place uh, to get where you want to be. And so, to me, what I have found is that once you begin to understand the reason that you're here, in mm-hmm. terms of your gifts. Um, I like to speak. I like to share my stories. I like to tell stories. I like to help people attain their dreams when it comes to running their business or making that investment in a commercial real estate property. And so that is my purpose. You know, it's like, to me, it's just like, I'm the, I'm almost like a fixer, you know? So it's like, I can, I can remove the obstacles to get where you want to be. And so part of the book is really kind of one is helping you uh, really look in the mirror and be honest with yourself about, okay, what are the things that are holding me back? And so the book, the way I've designed the book is not just something to read. Um, there are questions throughout the book that force you to stop and say, okay, here's questions one, two, or three. What can you do right now uh, to get past, you know, this situation? Or who do you need to call right now and ask for forgiveness? Who do you need to call right now and say, how can I help you? And I have found that doing those little um uh, little movements allow you as an individual to get past hurt, get past uh, situations that are that are not allowing you to step into your purpose and get to where you. I, I love I love how 
I love the nature of how it's going to drill down and, and get a person to really engage in the subject and not just let it wash over them, but get their, their fingernails involved yeah. with it. But that's one but of the really, reasons I think, I think that's one of the reasons why I decided I, I wanted to publish the book and I decided to pull back. Cause yeah. One, people don't read, you know, like when you look at, um, you know, terms of kind of what the readership looks like out there. And oftentimes books are lost leaders, you know, in, in terms of like, you often don't make money on the book. Right. Um, it's something you can point to and say, hey, I wrote a book. And yeah. to me, it's just like, I don't want to do that. You know, I really want it to be a tool. And so um, I've, you know, I've been, I've been interviewed uh, by a couple of people who are well-known and as, as authors. And they yeah. said, look, do this first. He says, go and find 50 really famous people who would say, I would read your book. Don't ask them to read the book. Don't ask them to write the, uh, buy the book. Just, just say, hey, look, these are these are the topics I'm covering. Would you say that you would read this book? And so I've been been on the prowl, you know. And so what I've done is I've made my it's an impossible list of people, you know, people mm -hmm. that I admire in sports, in you know, media, in movies, you know, actors, actresses. I mean, just people is like your list is impossible. But I, you know what? I'm getting I'm getting traction, you know. And so That's I'm getting meeting people where I'm not asking a whole lot. Like, look, I know you're busy. This is what I'm doing. Would you be willing to say that you'll you'll read this book? And so I'm I'm beginning to get that traction. And so once I get that part done, then I'm I'm going to go back and talk to a couple of publishing houses who've shown an interest. Okay. Um, and really turn this into a tool versus just another book that's going to sit on somebody. So because really the broader picture is is really the narrative of your dad's your dad's story of the addiction having him living on the streets in L.A. Yeah. to finding sobriety, getting a degree in theology, becoming, like you said, COO of, an, of, of a uh, homeless, was it ministry or, or community ministry well, of some sort? You know, they housed people, they fed them, they showered them, you know. So, so finding purpose, it sounds like, was the major vehicle to transforming his life. Absolutely. And I mean, I will tell you that, you know, my dad went from being guy fixing toilets and servicing fire extinguishers to helping the homeless. And I never saw my dad as happy as he was when he was literally walking up and down Skid Row, um, convincing people like, hey, look, we'll give you a shower. We'll, we'll give you a bed and, you know, come and listen to what we have to say. And really then he actually created a program to help people not only just, um, you know, get a shower and, and, and a meal, but also give them those tools so that they can actually find employment and kind of break that cycle. So, you know, I, my dad was a very satisfied individual in terms of really, he had really found what he was supposed to be doing. You know, that even goes back to even the, the exit planning and the uh, business doula that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. If, would you say that that's the real encouragement to the blue collar expert is drilling down on who you are, why you exist, what is your purpose? Not only as an individual, you know, what, what brings light to your face, what gets you excite, excited, but also what is that niche that you're really defining and building and really adding value to? Yeah. I mean, would you, would you say those are the key, the real key drivers that you'd really encourage people to? Well, they're to definitely pursue? important. Um, I think what people often find is that they ended up in a business or in an industry uh, because of circumstance. And when they, when you really ask those tougher questions about who are you, 
Um, like, well, I really want to play the piano. I really want to sing, you know, and it's like, mm. I want to do these other things. I say, okay, well, what can we do to get you there? And so yeah. that comes back to the whole implementing systems, duplicating yourself and really creating a revenue stream because that's what business is. You know, it's just like yeah. uh, an apartment building. You're buying a revenue stream that hopefully will get you to get you to earn the money that you want to live the life that you want to get to do the things that you want to do. So Marcel, let's end right here. What, what are, what is the major encouragement that you'd give any blue collar person trying to go to that next level? What is your one golden nugget that, uh, that you say, this is a must do going forward? Uh, one I would say is, uh, you're not the only guy in the boat. You're not the only woman on the boat. You're not alone. And uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. I think that's probably the biggest step you can take as a business owner is to look for uh, guides, for mentors, for people who are at where you are trying to get to and not being afraid to ask for help and uh, being willing to be uncomfortable. I think if you're not uncomfortable, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> You know, you need to be uncomfortable because you're building skill sets. You're doing things that are not, uh, don't have the muscle memory. Um, you might, you know, when you're exercising, you know, that it kind of, wow, this really, you know, kind of hurts, you know, and I don't think I can do this. I think if you're doing that, uh, you're in the right place. So don't be afraid to ask for help and be uncomfortable. Man, Marcel, thank you for this time. I've absolutely enjoyed it. These nuggets that we've pulled out of, of helping of how you're helping people refine who they are and find that those real leverage points. Um, and like you said, ma master in business with that heart for community and that, that heart for the commitment, actually the commitment to community. That's what the, the even the name of the company means. Yes. And so thank you for this time. I, I hope to have you back on the show again, and I hope to continue to build a more, a deeper relationship with you. So you know, thanks for having me.